Welcome to Supply Chain Now, the voice of global supply chain. Supply Chain Now focuses on the best in the business for our worldwide audience, the people, the technologies, the best practices, and today's critical issues, the challenges and opportunities. Stay tuned to hear from those making global business happen right here on Supply Chain Now. Hey, good morning, everybody. Scott Luton and special guest host Matilda Arhin with you here on Supply Chain Now. Welcome to today's show. Matilda, how you doing? I'm good, Scott. How about yourself? Doing wonderful. It is so neat to be back co-hosting a show with you. It's been a long time since the last time. I want to say the last time you're with us, we were interviewing Jackie Robinson's family. Do you remember that, Matilda? Yes, I do. And I did another one with Enrique, but yes, we had fun. Yeah, <laughs> we did. We know we've got an excellent show teed up here. This is going to be a bit of a special, unique episode, perhaps of Logistics with Purpose, which is always sponsored by our dear friends at Vector Global Logistics. So this episode we've got teed up today, we're going to be speaking with a leader of a nonprofit that's on a mission to fuel the emergence of a new cadre of leaders across Africa. In particular, this organization aims to increase female entrepreneurs across the vibrant continent of Africa. Of course, and entrepreneurship is critical for all industries, especially global supply chain, as we work on solving old and new challenges. So stay tuned for a fascinating discussion. Matilda, I'm going to welcome in our guests if you're ready to go. I'm ready to go. Let's go. <laughs> Wonderful. Let's do it. So we will welcome in Lade Araba, co-founder and president of the Viziola Foundation. Lade, how you doing? I'm doing wonderful, Scott. How are you? Thank you so much for having me. Well, you bet. Well, you know, one of my favorite things to do, and it's great to have you here. One of my favorite things to do is rub elbows with folks that are really pushing industry forward, giving forward, uh, building others, and because we all win that way. So I'm really excited to learn more about your journey and, and what you are doing at the foundation. Well, there's a lot going on. Uh, <laughs> we We've worked with um, over 8,000 girls and young women across about six countries in Africa, wow. giving them the opportunity to access education and also STEM learning. And STEM stands for science, technology, engineering, and math. And we've seen a number of these girls go on to college, get scholarships. Uh, some of them have become tech-enabled entrepreneurs. Um, others have been able to access jobs that they previously weren't qualified for. So there's just a lot going on and I'm super excited and proud of these girls and the futures that they have. As you should be, as we all should be. So I love that work. We're going to dive into more of that in, in just a minute. But before we do, let's get to know Lade a little bit better, Matilda. How's that sound? That sounds great, Lade. I'm excited too. <laughs> I know not. So Lade, Matilda and I would love to know where you grew up. And of course, you got to give us the goods on your upbringing. So it's a little bit of a complicated story. Um, so I was I was born in Nigeria, and we moved to Italy when I was three. My father worked for the United Nations, um, so he was a diplomat. So I grew up in Rome, Italy, the beautiful eternal city. Wow. I learned different languages and, you know, got to meet a lot of different uh, people. What You know, I'm not sure, Matilda, if I've ever met anyone that was able to 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 grow up in Rome of all places. How about that? Yeah. <laughs> so what was it? So, so, you know, pardon my ignorance a little bit. I've, I've never, I've never visited Rome. It's on my list of things to do, but gosh, Lottie, what was it like to have a backdrop of all the, the ancient structures and, and, and the history? What was that like? 
So before I get into that, I, I want to tell you one of my earliest childhood memories. I remember the, the flight to Rome and how I kept my poor mother up because she had to make sure I was comfortable the entire time. We arrived and that was the first time that it had snowed in Rome in a very long time. So it's not uh, typically that cold. So our first year in Rome, we had snow. So I made a snowman. <laughs> so it's very different. That was my, that's one of my earliest childhood recollections and memories. So, you know, coming in, it was new. It was completely different from where I was coming from. Of course, I didn't speak the language coming in with just English, but I don't remember how I made the transition, but suddenly one day I was fluent in Italian and then I became a native speaker and then, you know, was eating all this incredible Italian food, just learning so much about rich history in Italy, but also across Europe. So I must say I had a really good childhood and all of my memories are very pleasant. Oh, my goodness gracious. Wow. All the so many questions, so little time. Matilda, have you ever been to Rome? <laughs> Yes, that's what, that's what I was going to say. This is very interesting because my entry into the Western world was through Rome. I came through, I went to Switzerland as an, a, young, a young exchange student, and I had to translate through Rome. Yeah, so it was so, interesting. Yeah. So I'm the only non-world traveler here. Okay, so, <laughs> so all right, one, one more quick, we're going we're to talk about fluency and languages that you touched on in just a second. Before we do, you mentioned all this delicious Italian food. What was your favorite dish that you can recall well, uh, out of all the good food, probably? Hands down, lasagna. Lasagna mm. Romana. <laughs> Sounds great. Let's go, <laughs> let's go to Rome and get some. Let's go down. Yeah, all right. We should. So what's amazing, uh, one of the amazing things I think about you and your journey and who you are is you are fluent in three languages, English, French, and Italian, and you also speak some Spanish. That blows my mind. So, so how did you just, you just mentioned a moment ago, you don't recall kind of when you became fluent in Italian, but how did you accomplish this trilingual aspect of your journey? And, and talk about the impact it had, it's had on your world travels. Certainly, Scott. So I would say that um, speaking Italian certainly gives me an advantage with the Romance languages. So the languages that have a Latin root, so French, Spanish. Um, so it was pretty easy for me to understand these other languages, but I never really made an effort to formally learn, you know, how you conjugate verbs when I was little. As I got older, I realized I needed to be able to actually speak, converse in these other languages. So I took formal courses and then I spent um, two, two semesters um, in Paris as an exchange student when I was in college. And there I was really able to deepen my French. And then while I was in the U.S., I also took Spanish classes. But I would say, you know, Italian and, and French are definitely my, my strongest uh, of languages. And it's been, a, it's been a huge advantage for my career because I've been able to work in international organizations and, you know, qualify for positions in other countries on the merit of being able to speak um, these other languages, which really helps with business. I can only imagine. And I can also only imagine being able to spend time in Paris while in college. I bet you've got some stories that you maybe you can share and you can't share. I don't know. <laughs> All right. So, so Matilda, where are we going next with our friend Lady here? Uh, this is this is really exciting. Lady, it is very exciting to see what you're doing. And just wanted to know, you know, apart from, you know, but wanted to kind of Talk about your vision at the Viziola Foundation. 
you know, and I know it's going on the right direction in the language, but I think we forgot African language. <laughs> in all this, there's also an African language, so there's an African language to that, but kind of wanted to gear off a little bit to uh, prior to the Visiola Foundation, what were a couple of key positions that shaped your worldview? Wonderful. And yes, you're absolutely right. So Yoruba, which is, you know, my uh, native language, although my husband claims that I don't speak it because he does not appreciate my uh, accent and intonation, but I do make an effort. (laughs) So I think two, two roles in particular really shaped my worldview and influenced the decision and desire to set up the Bizzillo Foundation. So first, I had the opportunity to return to Rome as an adult in 2005. So I was offered a position with the Food and Agriculture Organization, which is a United Nations um, agency that tries to improve food production and agriculture in the developing world. And while I was there, I had the opportunity to travel within Africa, so to Uganda, to Kenya, uh, countries I had never visited uh, before. And I was really struck by how fertile those countries are. Hmm. Wherever you go, you know, it's green, the soil is fertile. So I I really can reconcile the image of these being poor countries where hunger was still an issue. Hmm. So that for me was sort of a big uh, turning point in my life and career. And I wanted to understand why local people couldn't produce enough food to feed themselves and have improved health outcomes Um, And so that was part of the work that I was doing. The second, you know, I would say big moment was when I was working with the African Development Bank um, and I got to travel again across Africa, looking at uh, financing infrastructure, electricity, since most of the continent surprisingly does not have access to stable, reliable electricity. Mm. And again, just traveling across countries and just not being able to reconcile the huge need and the poverty and just, you know, the lack of so many basic services, and yet seeing that all these natural resources were available. So that to me felt like a wake up call. And it drew me to want to do something that would contribute directly to development, but also improving the quality of life of people and giving them access to better economic opportunities. Oh, man, Matilda, that is remarkable. That, that yeah. sense of, of purpose in those early Eureka moments that, that Lotte yeah. had, right? Yes, that, that is amazing. That means you've touched on literally everything that Africa needs to grow, to be able to compete on the global level, you know, um, equally. And I think that is what everybody's striving for. You know, so talking about finance and infrastructure, what do you think, especially now that Africa has this, the largest trading block with Africa Continental Free Trade Area, what does Africa need to do to manage or work, especially the need for infrastructure across the Africa continent? What does Africa have to do to accomplish that? I always talk about two things. Um, so the factors of production and economics, uh, land, labor, capital. So for me, the two things that are really glaringly absent are human capital. So we don't have enough technical talent that is actually able to design, develop, construct, manage, and even perform the regulatory services that you need for infrastructure. We need more engineers, um, as an example. So one is, you know, huge investments are needed in human capital, but also really in technical skills. And then secondly, is actually developing the infrastructure. We still need 
probably millions of gigawatts of electricity being provided to the continent. Um, I think around 600 million Africans currently do not have access to reliable electricity, which is unfathomable in 2022. We need to build roads, highways, we need ports, um, airports, we need telecommunications. Um, there's just so much that needs to be built. Um, and in order to do that, you need the financing. But I think coupled with that is also the technical skills to be able to do so. Mm. Gosh, a couple thoughts come to my mind, Matilda, and I'd love to get your response too. Uh, I've been uh, watching the a manufacturing centric discussion take place uh, about a movement to insource more production and build more manufacturing facilities in Africa. And, and that's, I think that's a brilliant idea, but it, it seems like that would need some of those things that you've, you've mentioned, right? Because they consume so much Absolutely. Uh, of that, that, that type of infrastructure. And then the second thing, well, first off, respond to that, Lade. What, what's your take there? Manufacturing, is that high up on your radar? Absolutely. And we're already starting to see countries like Ethiopia, for instance, Rwanda, um, really investing in human capital, but also the infrastructure that you need to set up factories where you have access to cheaper labor and obviously can reduce the overall cost of production so that your margins then will increase. So we're starting to see countries, some countries do that, but there's definitely a need for a lot more investment and across the entire continent. Right. And, and as I understood it, and correct me if I'm wrong, while sure, some of that will lead to export, some of that new manufacturing activity, but there's also an intense focus to produce locally for local markets across the African continent, which is outstanding. Also, update me. At last, when I was chatting with um, a couple of friends, it's been a few months back, about the free trade movement across the continent of Africa, I thought that there was one country's holdout, uh, Eritrea. Did I say that right? Did they, mm-hmm. are they still holding out or do they sign on and, and. We don't yet have full ratification of the African free continental free trade area. I believe a couple of years ago, about 24 countries had actually signed up to it. There's 55 African countries, 54, depending on, you know, how you, if you count right. new countries that have come on board, but basically only about just under half of the countries have actually signed up. So there's still a bit of work to do to ensure that everybody comes on board. Gotcha. So it's not just Eritrea. Maybe it was a maybe it was a subsection of uh, that free trade work that I was reading about. Well, regardless, that's that's a wonderful development. Hopefully, we'll get more ratification and really open up, reduce the barriers uh, to success uh, and trade across uh, the robust continent of Africa. Matilda, before I ask Lade about other Eureka moments, she's already shared a couple. What else comes to your mind, Matilda, based on some of what she's she's talking about business across Africa? So uh, it's very interesting where Lade has been. Uh, all these, like I said, all these three focus. If Africa can focus on these three areas, definitely will be able to make an impact. For me, also the creative industry is also up and coming because when you look at the Africa continent, almost everybody owns a minimum of one cell phone. And then going into the technology and digitization and everything, creative industry. So what do you think? the creative industry can be used, uh, you know, to do or catapult Africa into a whole new um, direction? That's a question to Ladi. I would love to hear your point of view. I I think you're absolutely right. And it's already happening. Um, I can, you know, I travel in the U.S., I travel to different countries, and I hear music from various African countries, uh, 
very popular and people dance, they know the lyrics, um, they know the artists. We're seeing a lot of uh, collaboration as well between artists in different countries. We're also seeing that local um, Hollywood versions are emerging. So Netflix is making it possible to watch movies from Nigeria, Ghana, Kenya, India, as well as you know US movies produced in Hollywood. So there are a number of other streaming media that make this possible. So I think we're already starting to see that. And there's definitely a huge investment opportunity within the creative industry on the continent. But everybody doesn't necessarily need to go into that one industry. I think that there's many other <laughs> opportunities in other sectors and industries as well. Agreed. You know, unfortunately, I'm not getting offered a recording contract anytime soon, Matilda and mm -hmm. Lade. I'm very disappointed about that. But uh, I, I, would, I would buy your album, Scott. I would totally <laughs> I'm gonna hold you to it. I'm gonna hold you to it. Yeah. Gosh, so much to talk about. Fascinating. All all the different things that you're involved in, and and um, let's talk about Eureka moments though, because if anything, the last couple of years has been so tough for all of us uh, across the globe. What's been a Eureka moment that that really taught you something uh, here recently? Goodness, there's a number. Obviously, the last couple of years have been really difficult for many people, as you've mentioned, and I've also had my own uh, challenges. But when I think about, you know, the girls that um, I've had the pleasure of working with through the foundation, I'm reminded of the purpose and the why of why we created the organization to begin with. I have seen girls who literally had no future, and today they are working in tech. They have jobs with healthcare companies. They are earning decent salaries that have effectively changed the trajectory of their lives, but also of their families' lives. So that to me just reminds me that what we're doing is important and it's necessary. Oh man, I'm a, I, we need to replay that last 40 seconds for everybody, Matilda, to, to have, to live a life of that degree of purpose and impact and, you know, paying it forward and giving forward as we call it around here. I love that. So let's, let's talk more about for our listeners, uh, the Viziola foundation. So let's start with, let's, let's go all the way back. Cause you're a co-founder. Uh, why did you start the Viziola foundation? It, it is my purpose. It's, it's my life mission. Um, the story really starts in Rome. So I grew up with the privilege uh, being born into a family where my parents were able to send me to school. Education was never anything I worried about. Healthcare was never anything I thought about. You know, I had a pretty good childhood. But while I was in Rome growing up, I noticed that we were in the minority as African immigrants. So there's probably only a handful of us who came from working professional families. I was the only Black child in my preschool, there was only a handful of us in elementary and middle schools. And everybody else that I saw had a struggle of some sort. Unfortunately, I also noticed from a very young age that there were a number of girls and women who were trafficked. And it's very easy to see if you drive at night, or at least at the time, this is, you know, 40 odd years ago. If you drive at night, you see these girls on the street, you know, barely clad, even in the winter. And I knew there was something wrong. I think my young mind didn't fully comprehend what was going on, but I knew there was something wrong. And so I remember having a conversation with my mom in the car as I'm bundled up saying, can't we pick them up 
and take them somewhere and teach them a job <laughs> so they can get off the street. Right. So that for me, you know, was the, the, the starting point of I knew that there was something different about the life that some people led and that I was privileged and fortunate um, to not not be in that position. When I came back to Italy as an adult to work, difficult for me because here I am a, a young, you know, African woman who's professional, who earns a decent salary, but I could see so many people um, struggling. And I started meeting with these um, young women through my church. And I realized that many of them did not understand the importance of education. The reason why I had so many opportunities was because I had gone to college, I had done an MBA, I had access to jobs, if they would have, you know, pursued education, they could also have um, access these types right. of opportunities. So I basically started inviting them to my apartment, we would do Bible study, but then we would also do what I like to call, you know, life workshops, and talk about education, how to get jobs. And, you know, that sort of started it. And so, you know, several years later, I felt it was time. I didn't, I didn't have all the answers, didn't really know how you started a foundation or a nonprofit, but just got to work, you know, putting together some sort of business plan like I would if I was starting a company right. through the, the mission and also just, you know, creating a structure. And we have been operating now for eight years. And as I said, we've worked with over 8,000 girls. Okay, man, so much, so much good stuff there. You know, Matilda, we, we talk yes. a lot around yes. here around uh, deeds, not words, right? It's one mm -hmm. of our favorite phrases, right? Because it's about taking action. It's not about lip service yeah. and lip service yeah. leadership. And that is what I heard shouting in my ears. Lade saw a problem. She saw an issue. She wanted to do something about it. And that's exactly what she did. And she didn't let, she didn't let what we, what all of us don't know, you know, all of us, I don't know how to start a nonprofit. You know, when we started supply chain now, I didn't know how, you know, all the ins and outs there, but she didn't let that, the, those knowledge gaps get in the way. Matilda, what else did you hear there? Yes. I mean, what she, Lade is doing, I think cannot even be put into, um, into context in the impact she's having. I had the lesson of judging one of her competitions. That's how I got to meet her. And what she's glad has been able to do with these girls is nothing short of phenomenal. And so Lade, uh, let us know what it is that we can also do. This is amazing. And we applaud you for that. Yeah. Agreed. All right. So let's talk. So Matilda mentioned competitions a couple of times. Let's talk about those, but also what else, what, what all does the foundation do? Talk, talk to us about that, Lade. Absolutely. Um, so we currently run three programs, and these are primarily in Nigeria and Ghana, but we've also had students come in from Kenya, Uganda, Zambia, South Africa, Sierra Leone, and Liberia. So the first program that we run is after-school STEM clubs for girls in junior and senior high who attend public schools. So these are government institutions, poorly resourced, you know, lacking in infrastructure, lacking in materials, lacking in a lot of things. So what we do is we fill the knowledge gaps in the public educational system. We teach them the theoretical concepts in especially science. So in physics, biology, general science, chemistry, computer science, we introduce them to electronics, robotics, and uh, topics in engineering, but importantly, we provide them with experiential learning. So the labs, you know, all the practical work that you typically do where you're able to tinker, carry out experiments, build prototypes, 
apply the, the science um, to actually see how it works. So that way they're learning and not just memorizing formulas and theories that they don't understand. The second program that we run is uh, a residential uh, STEM camp, which happens typically over the summer, but uh, we also do over the holidays. So we had one in December in Accra, Ghana, and Matilda had the benefit of being a judge at that. So what happens is we have a theme. So for instance, in Ghana, the theme was robotics for sustainable development, renewable energy and robotics for sustainable development. So they learned about renewable energy, the importance of you know, climate change, um, and how you can create prototypes that improve the quality of life for people in an environmentally sustainable manner. And then they were tasked with developing prototypes that worked. And these were the prototypes that they presented to the panel of judges who um, interrogated them and basically um, asked them to explain the science behind what they had built. And then the third program is coding boot camps for young women. So this is a slightly older crowd. So we're typically working with girls between 17 to 25, sometimes going up to 30. So they spend five weeks learning basic computer programming. So they learn how to code. They are introduced to web development, graphic design, algorithms, data python, building mobile apps. At the end of the boot camp, again, it's a competitive process. So we only give certificates to those who fulfill all the requirements. But at the end of the boot camps, we've seen girls then go on to get jobs in tech that they previously were not qualified for. Uh, some have gotten competitive internships so they can continue learning and others have even become freelancers doing web development, basically creating websites or even becoming uh, graphic designers. Um, but it gives them opportunities and access to jobs and higher incomes that, that they would never have, have been able to access without this training. I love that. So eight years, over 8,000 students or participants that have benefited from these three programs that y'all do at the Viziola Foundation. Just remarkable, the impact, the impact. And, you know, when you can help people get good paying jobs that they wouldn't have otherwise, and, and then they can they can start paying bills and, and affording things that they, you know, they and their families need. I mean, the sense of fulfillment that you must, you and your team must have must be off the charts, uh, Lade. It, it is. It's, it's very humbling, but I don't know how to explain it. There's just a joy that comes every time I see this happen or I get, you know, a testimonial from a student, even after they've left our programs. So how can, uh, I want to make sure we, we, Matilda alluded to this a moment ago, to any of our listeners, companies, wherever they are that want to maybe support uh, what you're doing and help you continue to serve more and more, what are some of the ways that, that companies or individuals can, can help support the Viziola Foundation? There, we, we love that question. Um, you can become a friend or partner to the foundation. Um, so we've had companies where their staff have volunteered their time to give career talks. So what does it mean to be an engineer? What does it mean to work in supply chain? You know, what types of jobs are available? What do I need to study to get there? So just talking to them about, you know, your personal journeys and being real is, is always very helpful. Being a mentor um, to the students, obviously having that guidance and somebody who believes in you, who cheers you on, who can share from their own life's journeys is also very empowering for the students. Um, we've had companies provide internship opportunities uh, for the students. It's always important to actually have some work experience that makes you a better candidate going forward. 
Obviously, you know, companies have also provide, provided a corporate sponsorship for some of the programs. That's another opportunity. So there are many different ways in which you can support what we're doing. And we have a website. Uh, we also have um, a U.S. fiscal sponsor. So if anybody wanted to make tax-deductible donations, those are also possible. Um, so there are many different ways in which you can support what we're doing. I love that. I love that, uh, Lade. So Matilda, she mentioned earlier in her response, one of our favorite things, so we're big supply chain nerds around here. Uh, and we have a question for her about that, right, Matilda? Yes, we do. And uh, Lade, I think uh, for the social impact, you'll be a great, great partner for Vector Global Logistics. But look at supply chain, everything is supply chain. So when it comes to supply chain now, any observations for our listeners? Absolutely. So what we do is targeted at girls and young women who come from underserved communities. And I think what you can gather from that is gender equality and equity. So access to opportunities for women. Um, so when you think about supply chain, are you applying a gender lens within your supply chain? So are you looking to bring in women-owned companies within the supply chain? Are you looking at the presence of women in the leadership teams and the you know on the boards, um, in executive positions uh, within the companies that you work with? Are you looking to ensure that there is no pay gap between men and women doing similar types of jobs and, you know, with um, similar uh, types of qualifications? Um, are you thinking about how your products and services are being designed? Do they think about the perspective of women um, and how women use those products? Um, maybe they need to be designed differently. Are you thinking about, you know, your distribution channels? Are your products and services reaching women who are a formidable consumer group and who typically are influential in decision-making at the household level? So there are many different ways in which you can create a more gendered um, supply chain. And I think a lot more companies that do this recognize it's not just a social impact right. engagement, but it contributes to the bottom line as well. Diversity and inclusion does make, make good business sense. Agreed. Completely agreed. It's, it's, it's a business case. Even so, folks, if if you don't if you don't want to just do it because it's the right thing to do, is there's a business case to do it. Yeah. So, Matilda, Absolutely. we've got a new thing around here. It's going to be called a Lotte's checklist. She just rattled off about 15 questions that business yes. leaders should be asking themselves. Right? <laughs> yes, that's a good one. <laughs> All right. So let's. Um, I want to shift gears here as we kind of come down the home stretch, and uh, in our time with uh, Lotte. Araba, co-founder and president of the Viziola Foundation. Let's paint a visual here. So uh, I know you travel quite a bit. Let's let's say you you travel to New York City or Rome or one of your, any of your other favorite cities around the globe, and you're you're at the uh, Waldorf Astoria. I don't know if that's still around or not, but it's a big room full. You're giving a keynote to thousands of young people that are on the edge of their seat, and they all want to do what you're doing, right? Do big things, have impact you know, be presidents and CEOs, you name it, and you've got their captive attention. So Lade, what, what's a piece or two of, of advice that you'd give them? I can probably think of three or four things off the top of my head. Um, the, fir yeah, the, first thing, the first thing which I think we all need to be reminded of is believe in yourself. You can do anything 
you set your mind to. And if you visualize it and you work towards it, you can achieve it. So you have to believe in yourself and be your own biggest cheerleader. Mm. Secondly, integrity is supremely important. Ethics. Your name is your most important asset. And I always tell people that when people hear my name, when people see my name, do they think I have confidence in this product or the service because I know that she has ensured that it meets a certain standard of quality, certain quality, that she is not cut corners and so on. So it's supremely important to always conduct yourself in an ethical manner and let your name be known for integrity. Cutting corners just never pays off. And then the third thing, it, it just doesn't. In the long run, it just doesn't. And then the, the third thing that I would say is, you know, you can learn. And even if you don't have access to, and obviously you're not going to become an expert in everything, learn as much as you can and then find technical experts in the fields or the areas where you are lacking and work together. We can't ever achieve anything on our own. So it's important for us to identify our strengths and weaknesses, but then identify other people who can complement those areas so that we have a stronger chance for success, or as I like to call it, optimizing for success. Optimizing for success. You know, what you just shared there not only would benefit that uh, thousands of young people in that uh, hypothetical, everyone needs to hear that. And I love cutting, what'd you say? Cutting corners never pays off. I think is what you just said a moment ago. It's so true. And a lot Yes, yes, it is so that. true. It, it may it may seem like like you're you're getting an immediate payback, but as you say, in the big picture, you lose. You lose. Yeah. One of my favorite pieces of advice, and I cannot remember her name right this second. She is a PhD. She did work with NASA. We interviewed here uh, her here on Supply Chain Now, and she was it was a live stream, and she was being asked by a couple of our folks in the comments about how they can advance and 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 succeed and and you know get promoted and all that stuff. And her simple response was, "Do the work, do the work, Absolutely. do the work." You know, and that's it's such a simple thing, but it's so powerful. Uh, and if you do it, you know that that that's that's the key. So. Matilda, I'm going to bring you in on what you just heard there. It was like a, a yeah. mini masterclass from Lade here on leadership and, and then some. What was your favorite part of what Lade just shared? I mean, I took, I've got two girls. So this was very important for me that you have confidence. That's the number one. Uh, integrity and mentorship. Yeah. You know, when you have that, these are three most important keys to success. That's what I got from that. So thank you. It's phenomenal. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much, uh, Lade. Let's make sure folks know how to, how to connect with you and the Viziola Foundation. I'm, I'm hoping that there might be some potential supporters or speakers or, or sponsors, you name it. How can folks connect with you? Uh, the Viziola Foundation has a website. It's viziolafoundation.org, and Viziola is spelled B-I-S-I-O-L-A, foundation.org, and you can find a lot of information on there. Wonderful. Wonderful. Uh, we look forward to sharing that with our uh, global ecosystem. Love the work you're doing. Gosh, just the the practical, the, the practicality of it all. Uh, I'm a big fan of practicality. In fact, my wife, Amanda, we talk about it a lot, but our first Valentine's together, I, uh, I had noticed in the weeks prior that she was running in the rain with no umbrella. So I was like, problem meets solution. I'm going to, I gave her umbrella on that first Valentine's day. She was not happy. 
I'm not happy, but very, very romantic. Thought. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> We've all had a good laugh about that ever since she, she cried on that first Valentine's day, but uh, kidding aside, I love this story. This at this, the story of your journey where you saw folks that were missing out on opportunities that were um, struggling in their walk of life. And you just went to work, rolled up the sleeves, went to work and, and creating these programs that enable them to do so much more and, and to, to live a fuller life like we all should have the opportunity to do. So thank you very much, Lade, for what you do. And, and Matilda, man, what a great story. I'm so glad that you, you and the Vector team connected us here at Supply Chain Now with Lade Arba. Yes, I, I, I was excited. I couldn't wait for Lade to get on here because I see what she's doing and I do know the impact. So I thank you also, Scott, you know, Supply Chain Now for creating the platform possible for these stories to be told. You bet. They're important stories. So uh, we know how to connect with Lade and the Visiola Foundation. We'd encourage our listeners to do just that. But Matilda, you know, we're big fans as well of uh, Vector Global Logistics. You know, I was just talking the other day when I first met Enrique Alvarez, and he tells me that uh, his plan is to change the world. You know, a lot of folks might might snicker at that and might, might kind of laugh at that. But in the years since, I've seen you, you and the team do just that, right? You are doing such great work. So how can folks connect with you and Vector? Thank you. I think the best platform is to go to the Vector Global Logistics. It's vectorgl.com website. And there's more information there. My name is too long for me to even put it out there, but you'll find me over there. So it's vectorgl.com. And I'm also very honored to be working with Vector Global Logistics. And I thank you, Lottie. Yeah. Well, big thanks to to what all both of you and all that you're doing, your respective teams. It certainly takes a village. Uh, I know that's a cliche phrase, but really, um, Lottie, you spoke about the power of collaboration. And I really just admire what y'all are doing. We look to have you back. We have to have an update with Lade Araba and the Viziola Foundation because I got to, I don't know, we we're talking about how Matilda might be psychic before you join us here today, Lade, but I got a hunch there's going to be thousands and thousands and thousands of more folks that the Viziola Foundation is helping this year alone. So you're, you're certainly leading an a vitally important journey. Thanks for your time here today, Lade Arba. Thank you so much, Scott. And thank you, Matilda, for inviting me. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you. Well, you know, uh, thanks for your time to our listeners. Man, how could you how could you listen to this story and not be ready to run through walls? Because that's, I mean, and, and do good and have impact and lift others up. That's, that's what we heard a lot about here today from Lade Arba. Make sure you check out the Viziola Foundation. We'll make that real easy. We'll put those links in the show notes. So you're one click away from, from learning a lot more and maybe even supporting what they're doing at the Viziola Foundation. Big thanks to Matilda and our friends at the Vector Global Logistics team. They're doing great work, vectorgl.com. But whatever you do, uh, as, as we start to sign off here, I uh, wish all of our listeners nothing but the best. But if you take one thing away, hey, be like Lade, do good, give forward, be the change that's needed. And on that note, we'll see you next time right back here on Supply Chain Now. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for being a part of our Supply Chain Now community. Check out all of our programming at supplychainnow.com and make sure you subscribe to Supply Chain Now anywhere you listen to podcasts and follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. See you next time on Supply Chain Now. Supply Chain Now.